With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Wubble up, left up. Pickle Rick. Hey, it's Pickle Rick. I'm your bruiser, Pickle Rick. Oh, oh geez, Holden. It's it's me, your, your naive, uh, masturbating 14-year-old. And and, uh, uh, and and you know what? F- f- screw this! I'm out of here. I, I I don't even need this stuff. I my stammering and uh, insecurity really covers up for the fact that my dialogue is being improvised, huh? Gee. And we are here to unpack Rick and Morty, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be a wild ride. I I was happy to return to it. I I, I fell off after season two, and I'm not going to lie. I think the internet tricked me into think associating this show with like Badman, and uh, I was happy to go back and and actually enjoy seasons three and four since we did the show. And I want to get into it. It is such a fascination now, like because our whole job, right, is unpack fandoms, right, yeah. and or or to get to the root of fandoms rather, not unpack. Unpack for this, I said earlier, but I get to the root of right. Dig it out. Be like, what do people love about it? What's interesting with this topic and interesting about topics like, let's say, when we do like a tool episode in the future, is not only do we get to find the root of the fandom, we also get to find the root of why people hate the fandom. And that is a very interesting thing. And actually, I think it just so happened, it, 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 Rick and Morty was used as a uh, just as an example of shitty lame gatekeeping when it comes to being a fan of a thing. And I feel like I'm so, one of my favorite things about being in my 30s, especially, is you don't quite get out of it in your 20s, but you do in your 30s, I think, finally, is like not dealing with shitty, annoying people like that or just liking what you like. You know what I mean? And like, you know, like for example, here's a great example. Um, I hated sports all through my childhood. All through my childhood, hated it, didn't get it. I'm like, what? Are, why are we just watching these guys throw a ball through a hoop? I don't get it. This isn't exciting. Mm-hmm. What's exciting are like fantastical television shows, stories, and, and stuff like that. That's interesting to me. Uh, that's where I see drama. I see drama in drama, not in sports. And so eventually, I came back around to football in uh, New York in my 20s. And people just started meeting every Sunday at the bar. And it was like a really fun social hang. And I started going and I was like, I actually kind of like this football thing. And then one day I was like, wow, I like it so much. I'm really cheering for uh, 
you know, because my team technically is the Carolina Panthers. They were playing uh, another team. I think they were playing the team my friends were fans of. And so I started rooting for them and having fun at the bar, rooting for my team, feeling like, wow, I finally get this. And wouldn't you know it, well, one of my asshole friends turns to me and just goes, oh, yeah? Name three players. Really? Yes. The actual, oh, yeah, name three. Seriously. That's a meme right now. That is like parody. I was, I still, I'm getting mad thinking about it. I, it, it makes me so, because I'm like, dude, I finally gave your fucking dumb sport a fucking chance, and you're ruining it for me. And I remember that kid, uh, I remember that Tool fan <laughs> in high school that made us feel like really weird and stupid because like we, because he only listened to Tool to watch Mystery Science Theater 3000 and Bill Hicks records, right? Oh, come on. That's a real cool kid. Though. I know, that right? Kid he was so cool. Score. And he definitely made, it, made sure I knew that he was cooler than me because of how much he knew about Tool and Mystery Science Theater and fucking Bill Hicks. Right. You're nailing onto something really hardcore, yeah. which is that um, there is a certain level of disparity that happens when a 14 year old boy first realizes that everything is bullshit. <laughs> because to the 14 year old boy, this is the most revelatory thing right. in the entire world. Right. He has he figured it out. He listened to the, the sacred Bill Hicks and the Tool albums, and he understands that there is chaos and arbitrariness and uh, control being exerted upon you, and he looks out at the rest of the world, and he's like, why is no one else freaking out about this? Uh -huh. It's because they're sheeple. Right. It's because they're dumb, but not me. They, yeah. I figured it out. Meanwhile, the 12-year-old girls already figured out that life is hard because they got their period and, like, there's blood gushing everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And, like, their cousins started hitting on them that one time. Right. Like, the girls already know shit's fucked right. up. The girls yeah, already they're, they're know. they're escaping into yeah. the pop music and silly reality television. Yeah. And so that, that is, like, a purposeful yeah. escape. The adults already know. And because they turned 14, tried to rebel, got their <laughs> ass kicked, and... And we're like, well, I guess I have to still pay my Con Ed bill and like got everything into it. So the um, the idea that like a 14 year old's level of like rebellion and nihilism and misanthropy is for the 14 year old, the most powerful and resonant and revolutionary thing in the world. And to everyone else, it is shit they already know yeah. and are like already moving like, OK, but what do you do about it? And I this is a huge I'm like hyped up on caffeine right now, but. <laughs> This is this is huge. I'm painting with a, the broadest brush here. I love this though. I love that we're just jumping right. I love how like normally we start with a gush where we talk about like things we love about the show, which we're definitely going to get to because I definitely love this show. But yes, this is more interesting to me than even the show is that what this is what this show represents for so many people. So when you see a a fan on on the internet of Rick and Morty even try and talk about like, you don't understand, it's super deep. They talk about like philosophy and existence and whatever. And then you tune in and it's like, oh, the science man tried to shoot himself in the head with a laser while sad music was playing. Like it's, <laughs> it, you, you, you feel a little recoil. You get a little like, you, you push back a little. And, and that's a shame because at the core of this show are really good jokes, 
really fun visual elements and animations. Really like out of nowhere, authentic moments. Mm -hmm. Like there was even just this one moment where Rick and Morty were fighting in the episode I was just watching and Rick said something and Morty closed the door and then there was just this five second pause and then he came back in and said the thing he meant to say. Mm -hmm. And that may sound minuscule, but like that never happens in a scene and that happens in real life so much where you you think the fight is over. Mm -hmm. Like you think the last word's been said and then the person, and I do this all the time. Yeah, yeah. And then I come back in because I had one more thing I had to say. You know what I mean? Right. So there is, so it is like, it's a, it's definitely well, it's at the same time that it's going for gonzo concepts. Yes. I'm thinking of like uh, the craziness of, uh, from the season four, the save button yep. that uh, Rick gives Morty and all the dumb shit that happens with that. Uh, and then, yeah, to these like weird, quiet, little naturalistic moments that resonate and hit closer to home than anything that you kind of saw in The Simpsons or Family Guy or Futurama before that. So like at the same time that it's going gonzo and there's characters named uh, uh, Shitty Buttmouth. I mean, that one I just made up, but all the names on this show are pretty made up. Mr. Poopy Butthole. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean. I'm Glip Glipperson, Gorpy Gorps. It's uh, like it's, you know. The meta commentary, like all these things are happening that is unique to a, I'm going to say for the budget and marketing behind it, a primetime animated show uh-huh. is good. It is funny. It is unique. And it's only when you see someone in a Pickle Rick t-shirt that you just go like, you shouldn't, I mean, it's it's a good show, but like, <laughs> it's not like, I don't know. But I don't know. I, I, yes, though, it, it is for especially a certain age group, probably. You know, it's the time when you do make take one thing and kind of make it your identity. Yeah. Right. And this is a great thing for people to make their identity, I think, at a certain age, because it kind of has all these things in one. And I think what turns people off is that same thing. I think that the mixture of the spastic kind of and the like um, the sloppy on purpose kind of stuff going on and 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 the and just the fast loose sometimes kind of cheap jokes that are just funny as shit but they're just like they're they're thrown right up against these like high sci-fi concepts and these like heavier emotional moments are thrown in as well like liberally right to any given episode no matter how silly the episode might be they do not shy away from like going into a Jurassic Bark yeah. direction. You know what I mean? And 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 then but then bringing it right back into that absurdity. Uh, you know, I think the one I uh, uh, I was was uh, what was it? Rick Rick Knight Run, Mid Rick Run, Morty Night Run, where they go to blips and chits. Yes, and that whole VR part where he lives like an entire life. And it's such a terrifying sci-fi concept. You know that that people have played with. Um, uh, so much in the past and, uh, you know, y- you kind of get it hit with it in this like really ridiculous, funny, but incredibly upsetting at the same time way that, uh, I think that's like a great example of an episode, right? It kind of has all, of, it hits all those beats. I think it's got like this hot, crazy high sci-fi thing. It's absolutely absurd. Plenty of dirty blue humor mixed with like, uh, definitely a, uh, uh, moment where like where you're facing your own mortality. And I like I don't think I wrote this quote down from Dan Harmon but he talked about how he's like he's like yes like we we are approaching it from the from the standpoint of like there is no god and life is meaningless but like 
at the same time, like to just sit there and, and, and think like that and, and approach life like that will get you nowhere. Right. So, uh, and I think that's great, but sometimes it creates this like snootiness, or at least in our heads, that's the thing is how real the snooty guy actually is. Because, you know, I, we're being real loosey goosey with this one. I, and I appreciate it. And I understand like the two biggest knocks on the Rick and Morty fandom, the two, like the, the, the twin towers, if to use a untimely analogy are the, uh, Shezwan Sauce, yes. I'm Pickle Rick, on the counter, re-guy, and the you need to have a very high IQ copy pasta text. Yeah, let's, let's, I mean, sure, I love how you're starting with like literally my last section in my notes, which is entitled, Why Do People Hate Rick and Morty Fans? But both of those things are intentional trolls. Both of those I things think those are, are the parody. two, yes. So here are the two, here are the two things, right, is the... Szechuan Sauce Fiasco in 2017. This is the first episode of season three. Season three is kind of where it all gets gets messy with the fandom. Uh, Rick, of course, in that episode, lovingly talks about the now absent sauce at McDonald's, once, once supplied in the 90s, and he wants to bring this back. McDonald's then sees that brilliantly says, hey, we're just going to take this like joke from a TV show, and even though like it was completely unprompted by... Them, we're gonna put this sauce back out in a limited supply. It's the weird thing where, like, McDonald's when the episode aired because it's, it was part of the social media conversation that day, and it was such a big thing. And McDonald's gets name dropped in it. The McDonald's social media team is like, "Yo, what if we did this?" And like Justin Roiland, I think replied like, "Haha, funny" or something like dumb like that. Yeah, this is the thing that this is also a fe- the fever pitch of like annoying social media corporate shit. Oh, it's still, we're still living in. It's but, just when it was. But emerging. I feel like we're, we've now grown a little more wise to it than back in the day, where it was like corporations doing cute stuff <laughs> that's on your favorite TV show. So yeah, they release this thing in stores. What's not fake though, Jake? I mean, massive crowd showed up, camped overnight. To get fucking Szechuan sauce from McDonald's. I, it's okay. fucking ridiculous. Here I am. Here I am in the <laughs> unlikely position. When I woke up this morning, Holden, I did not think I would be the Szechuan sauce freak defender. <laughs> this was not this was not the role I envisioned for myself. But the joke in the show is that it is such a completely arbitrary piece of ephemera. That of all the things to be nostalgic about, from the uh, old snack foods, discontinued sodas, movies, uh, old TV show references. We live in a very nostalgia-heavy thing. Everyone go- loves going like, hell yeah, remember Ghostbusters? This, this, our show, our show is literally part of it. The most dumb, arbitrary thing would be to be like, oh man, this one dip McNugget dipping sauce based on a... I'm going to say B plus tier Disney movie from the nineties was like, that's my purpose. That, and literally the, the show goes into like, this is what it's going to be about Morty. It's going to be, I'm all about the sauce. The sauce is the whole point. The, that's my, my quest this season. And so the fans picked up on that and to point out the, uh, to make a play on the arbitrariness of like fandom and uh, like the irony of, coalescing around it yes and did the show and was like is it be funny if we like mirror that because you know you watch the clips of the crowds people trying to get in the doors people crowding around the counters stealing 
bags of sauce from someone else. I can't believe you're defending these people. But like for the people doing that, there's like 50 people just kind of holding up video cameras on their phones and being like, this is kind of fun. Uh-huh. This is like actually kind of, it's, it's, it's neat that we like, based on a TV show and an internet phantom, we're causing real life shenanigans to happen. Yeah, it does feel like an AR campaign in a lot of it ways. Was, it was just a very effective uh, organic flash mob of people that was like, what is the dumbest thing we could like demand from the corporate world? But still, I, I was at my day job. I, remem- I kind of remember this moment, pulling up the video of that guy jumping on a counter in a McDonald's Screaming pickle Rick and wubba lubba dub dub while also and then rolling around on the floor with his shirt over his head like he's Beavis and Butthead doing, you know what I mean? And like just squealing like a pig. Well, he was and making the um, insensitive re noise, which is a uh, uh-huh. internet vernacular way of uh, uh-huh. making fun of autistic people. Uh-huh. Don't don't say re don't don't do that. But like. He, he was not real. He was also just like trying to embody a moment, making fun of the people that were there sincerely to just like have fun with the cartoon. But I still get to hate that guy. <laughs> Even if it's not you, real. You can hate him. <laughs> Even if it's all like kind of a comment on itself. You just at my day job as an adult, grown adult who just like could never fathom standing in a long line, even for those like fancy cupcakes. You know what I mean? At one of those places that actually when you get it, it does just taste like the most delicious thing you've ever had in your life. I I hate those lines. But then to get in a line at a McDonald's and to just so you could jump on a counter and scream Pickle Rick. And by the way, great episode. Pickle Rick's good, really good episode. It's I I I got, I almost got a glimpse of what like the real fan the real issue with the fandom was when I was doing like a, I was just combing YouTube looking for like I was literally just looking for Rick and Morty fans the kind of obsessives that would make YouTube essays about it and like from episode to, from video to video the each creator would be like and this is where the season hit its nadir the pickle Rick episode. <laughs> Like the new writers did a terrible job. The monologue explaining the, you know, all this was bad. Cut to the next video. It's like, and here's where the season reached its apex with Pickle Rick. Right, a right. Thrilling meta commentary on the show's own uh, uh, internal arcs. Like I was just like, oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I dare say that it is not Rick and Morty's fault <laughs> that this happens. It is our own broken culture that gives our young people so little of a common cultural cause that the only thing that gets them out from behind their desks and behind their their phones and tablets is a joke gathering a joke communal event right nothing and really, if we nothing just real. got back to church holden they, if it was easter I they could have all see. just gone out and collected some easter eggs <laughs> as part of a community easter aren't you jewish i am jewish but <laughs> none of our holidays are as cool as easter <laughs> Yeah, well, I, there's cooler Christian holidays than Easter. Name one cooler holiday than Christmas. Easter. <laughs> it's way cooler. Easter's fuckier. I'll say Easter's a little fuckier. Well, just before we move into like the actual history of everything, uh, I would also just like to throw out there that honestly, that copy pasta that starts with, to be fair, you have to have a very high cue to understand Rick and Morty. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. And if you've never heard of it, 
Just Google high IQ Rick and Morty. Can you read the last two sentences of it if you have? You mean, (laughs) and by the way, and yes, by the way, I do have a Rick and Morty tattoo. And no, you cannot see it. It's for the ladies' eyes only. And even then, they have to demonstrate that they're within five IQ points of my own, preferably lower beforehand. (laughs) Nothing personal, kid. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's that's like got to be fake, right? I mean, there's just so ridiculous. But with the tattoo and all this stuff and and referencing Turgenev's Russian epic Fathers and Sons and this same uh, (laughs) copy pasta that I just said those other two sentences in and, uh, you know, how that's Wubba Lubba Dub Dub is a reference that, I mean, it is so such a perfect encapsulation of an annoying fucking gatekeeper asshole fan. And fandom now for everything has it, even if it's ridiculous, even if it's fucking... Probably, actually, this has the worst, but like Pokemon cards, Mm -hmm. even if it... And you know what, though? I'm going to throw this out there because this resonates for everything. I remember back in the day, I became a fan of Fish via my brother, Mm -hmm. the band Fish. I will not apologize for it. Thank you very much. And I remember one of my favorite things about it was I was like, wow, I feel like I can go to these concerts and just get high off my ass and like not (laughs) think about what other people think of me. Like I do all day at school, like I do all day when I'm home. I can just dance like a complete asshole and no one's going to judge me. Everyone's enjoying their time. They don't care about me. And like, I, f- I just started wiggling around at the show, right? And dancing like no one's watching as no one was. And it really was a freeing experience for me. It really felt liberating because that's how much I thought about what other people thought of me. You know what I mean? And, uh, but come to find out, Fish has his fans are the same as anything else. You still meet that fucking guy that judges you because you don't know that what songs they played in June of 1997 at this specific, you know, Boston show. And, you know, they they give you shit and they make you feel like shit for like being a fan, but not being like a fan. It exists in every fandom. It just so happened that this Copy pasta in reference to Rick and Morty perfectly exemplified everything that is fucking awful when it comes to that kind of thing. But it exists in every fandom. So it's funny, I think now Rick and Morty just happened because it was connected to this copy pasta thing and because of the Szechuan sauce fucking shit. Uh, it just so happened that it became known as having a toxic fandom where I would argue. Every fandom has these people. So another thing that uh, the fandom got dinged on was uh, harassing messages when uh, Harmon and Royland were like, oh, we hired uh, some female writers because they like had really good spec scripts. Yeah, after season two. Yeah, yeah. which again, it's all happens around season three. But like misogynists exist and it's not fun. But like you like a video game, there's going to be a misogynist fan somewhere out yeah, there. Especially uh, yeah. if you like. Sports, there's going to be misogynist fans. If you like anything, there's going to be misogynist fans because they're they're people. They have jobs. They have families. They just walk around every day being like, ah, shit, got to file my taxes. Also, I think women are inherently inferior by way of their sex and gender. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, And definitely they were pulling out the SJW card and all this kind of stuff. And I I don't see it in that season, by yeah, the way, like, on any level. Harmon responded by saying, these knobs want to protect the content they think they own and somehow combine that with their need to be proud of something they have, which is often only their race or gender, which is actually a really good way to state uh, a mega statement about toxic, shitty fanboys, like for sure. It just became, I think it just became the mascot for toxic fandom, but I, I, I actually think, I'm going to say this right now, and before we get into the making of the show, 
and actually give love to the show. As I know we started with the toxic fan, and we got that out of the way the, uh, to start. But I will just say, I think it's okay to like Rick and Morty, and it's okay to be a fan again. And I think that we need to dust off the the Rick and Morty fandom and realize that it was just right place, right time, this kind of whirlwind on the internet, this cultural phenomenon that got people to show up at a McDonald's and get weird. And uh, that's okay. We're going to move past it. And it's okay to like them again. And the show is fucking great. Yeah. It is a brilliant, brilliant show. It perfectly marries together the Simpsons with Futurama and adds just a sprinkle of blue, dark, great comedy on top of that. There's a there's a little kiss of murder fist in the air. A little bit. I would say, I mean, just not afraid to get violent, not afraid to get grotesque. Not afraid to have a 14-year-old boy get sexually assaulted by a jelly bean. Yeah, all of those things uh, are in this show. Well, here we go. 23 minutes we made it yes. before I gave the synopsis. Rick and Morty is an adult animated science fiction sitcom created by Justin Roiland and Dan Harmon for Adult Swim and follows the misadventures of mad scientist Rick Sanchez and his good-natured yet anxiety-ridden grandson, Morty Smith. So let's talk about our major players here, as well as a little thing called Channel 101, which is going to essentially be the, the creative institution that was built by these gentlemen. The Petri dish. Petri dish, we shall say, where... This all somehow came about, and I guess it all goes to show the real moral here is like create situations where you and people you love and respect can throw shit at the wall, especially if you're in your late teens, early 20s, uh, and you are creatives. Just get it out. Just vomit it out, and something will happen eventually. Dan Harmon, born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He stayed there all through childhood and college, which was uh, Marquette University for that guy. And uh, then he does also, while he's there, it's important to note, he does a brief stint at Glendale Community College, which was the basis for the show Community, because he also is the creator of Community. Dan Harmon, essentially, how do we describe, between Community, Rick and Morty, Harmontown, the podcast, he just is like this, like undeniable presence especially in the late 2010s uh mid to late 2010s of like this is hollywood but this is how to like work in hollywood and still get your shit over and we're even going to talk about the drama of it all in harmontown i mean we're going to be like really open about what this industry is right jake were you following harmontown much so dan Harmon has been like this presence throughout my, I don't know, like struggling to have a career. Yeah, I, <laughs> since I was in, I mean, I was watching Channel One Hundred and One stuff in college. Oh, okay, like it's wow. been around forever, and like, so Dan Harmon is definitely a Gen Xer. He is within that Gen Xer thing. Uh, uh, you know, the came to uh came to being in the eighties and nineties, and like understands that everything is bullshit. Grew up during the pinnacle of television when, like, you know. 80% of American households would all be sitting and watching the same thing at once at the same time. And a through line throughout his entire career has been kind of this meta. Uh, and I can't believe I'm, I'm going to say the word meta a lot, but this very uh, TV literate vision of how stories and movies kind of work. Yes. And he kind of refines Joseph Campbell's like hero's journey into his story circle. And, uh, all everything he does from uh, 
you know, Heat Vision and Jack to uh, a lot of his Channel 101 shows all kind of have this very like profane, irreverent kind of uh, edgy comedy edge, but a sincere love and dedication to the the emotional beats and the three act structure and the kind of and just like the history of television yeah. and and sci fi. Like you'll get more out. Yeah. I, I'm already sounding gatekeepy, by the way. You'll get more out of it if you like have seen, you know, if you're un- if you understand the reference to like the that time in television history. Especially you brought up Heat Vision and Jack, which just reminds me of all those TV shows I used to watch, like in the middle of the day. Yeah, Bionic Man, Incredible Hulk, all these things. Yeah, yeah, Maverick, right? Or, or what was it? Um, Oh, God. Renegade. Remember Renegade? Like, it reminds me of that, right? The look of it, the feel of it was just that, like, good-for-nothing time-waster TV show that you would watch in the middle of the day as a kid. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash credit card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. But, so, he's acutely aware of, like, all right, now we introduce the love interest, and the love interest has to, like, prove herself to be an equal, but, like, not challenge the main hero. You know, he's just aware of all these. He was a, he was a walking... TV tropes before TV tropes existed in a way. Yeah, totally. And so with Channel 101, he starts like condensing it into like three minute, two to three minute shorts. And, you know, uh, with other friends of his that all kind of moved out, uh, Rob Schraub, uh, these are alternative cartoonists. These are animators. These are uh, sketch actors, improvisers. All these people are in LA trying to break into the mainstream, but like also... Uh, kind of poking fun at it. And like, you know, they want to be a part of the magic, but they know it's all an illusion. I want to throw it out there that, uh, pick a wreck. I want to throw out there that uh, also, before he gets to LA with, you may already mentioned Rob Schraub, his buddy. Uh, he's in Milwaukee. He's doing comedy sports, uh, which is an institution for improv training. But uh, him and Rob Schraub end up actually joining a splinter group called the Dead Alewives, which is exactly probably what I would have done. Very sounds a lot like Murder Fist. They were like comedy sports was very like family friendly. And- yeah, wait, have you ever gone to? A, was there a comedy sports near you growing up? No, no, not at all. So the everyone wears like uh, basically ref jerseys uh-huh. and are split into teams, and they do competitive short form uh improv games think uh whose line is it anyway like totally. make up a silly totally. song uh i need a location and uh hey freeze now i'm going to step in right. and we're going to see where the scene goes right. and with the exception that at comedy sports they had to be absolutely clean if anyone like swore or made a sex joke they'd get penalized on stage it was like very hokey um and so like of course immediately 
him and his friends just formed a splinter group where they made dirty jokes. And they put out this album called Take Down the Grandmaster uh, back in 1996. And it really surprised me that this was the case. But I remember off of that album, there is a sketch, a Dungeons and Dragons sketch. And it gets viral on the internet. I literally remember a friend making me download that on Kazaa in college to listen to and sitting in my apartment with a couple of friends and listening to that sketch and laughing about it. So that is kind of crazy. I had no idea that uh, Dan Harmon actually wrote that Dungeons and Dragons. Do you you have a couple of offhand references? I Uh, cast magic missile at the darkness. Yes, yes, all that shit. Yeah, and the Mountain Dew, the ah, the Mountain Dew or whatever. Yeah, yeah. It was great. So anyways, they end up going to uh, moving to Los Angeles to pursue screenwriting television, him and Rob Schraub. They create a show we talked about already called Heat, Vision, and Jack. This is a pilot that is ordered by Fox starring Jack Black, Owen Wilson, and Ron Silver, directed by Ben Stiller, who does like this opening bit. It's on YouTube. I suggest really definitely watching it. It's really funny. It spoofs, like I said, those low-budget TV shows in the 90s, and it centers around an astronaut and a talking motorcycle. The astronaut's played by Jack Black. The talking motorcycle is voiced by Owen Wilson, and it's a really good like view into the DNA, I think, of what will eventually be Rick and Morty and even Community. So, so that is how they get to creating Channel 101, this nonprofit monthly short film festival. Apparently, actually, how it happened was uh, Rob Schraub invited some friends over for a viewing of Jaws 4, and uh, asked all of those people to bring in a short film of what they think will happen in the movie. And they had such a great time doing that, you know, just shooting on probably like camera phones or whatever. And they had such a fun time that it just sort of evolved organically into to the point where they're like, oh, we should actually need a venue now for this. Oh, we actually now have to select pilots to show at our uh, Channel 101 shows because there's so many now that are coming in being submitted. So we have to like actually choose. And so they created just this whole weekly short film festival very organically. The description on the website is great. Channel 101 is a chance to sit in the worn out chair of the fat network exec, drunk on the blood of lowly artists whose right to exist is given in exchange for their ability to nourish. You run the network, you pick the programming. And what happens is essentially as people were getting selected, uh, they they get to make another episode of whatever pilot they, they submitted, right? If people get voted in. Uh, for the next week. And as people get brought in, they start to become the people that get to select the submissions as well. So it just became this like kind of natural growing institution. And this is the same era that uh, the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater came to LA. Alt comedy is becoming a big thing. This is where like Bob and David, uh, the Mr. Show guys are all based out of LA. So like, uh, you know, Paul F. Tompkins, uh, Patton Oswalt, like all these kind of burgeoning comedic talents are making the L.A. alternative comedy scene this very exciting place to create and collaborate with people. Some notable people that got their start at Channel 101 are the Lonely Island guys who started a parody of the O.C. called The Boo that uh, became so popular that it they literally started submitting like joke entries being like, we didn't make a show this month. We had better things to do. And it would still get renewed because people were such big fans of it. Uh, Tim and Eric would routinely submit stuff to uh, Channel 101, as we discussed in our Tim and Eric episode. Uh, There was like increased celebrity cameos and uh, there was interest from networks to like create pilots based on it. Uh, 
and among them in the mix was Dan Harmon creating his own shows. Like I think one was called Laser Fart. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was this very vibrant scene where a lot of heat was happening. And I think we can do a little side shift because one of the talents that started submitting and collaborating in the Channel 101 scene was a little drawy man. Was a was a uh, was a was a unique fellow by the name of. Gustin Doyle. Justin Royland, oh, raised right. in Manteca, California, went to a school at Modesto Junior College out there, but moved to Houston, Texas in the early 2000s, and that's where he gets involved in Channel 101. At a young age, he loved a sci-fi book series called My Teacher is an Alien uh, and other sci-fi things of the sort. Justin Royland said, I have had a natural lifelong proclivity for sci-fi. I have always been drawn to it. I'm really into theoretical physics and quantum physics and the bizarre nature of the universe, like what could possibly be real versus what could possibly be not real, and the potential of the infinity expanding, infinitely expanding galaxy and string theory and so on. Uh, so you really have to have a high IQ to understand what he just said just there. So I understand like if you guys don't get it. Uh, this is uh, inherent in his work from the beginning, including Channel 101's House of Cosby's, which, uh, in which the protagonist uses a scientific device and a hair from Bill Cosby to generate a bunch of Cosby's. And uh, it's, it's, it feels very Rick and Morty, especially because of the way it kind of gets out of hand in kind of a total Rick all way, which I think is one of the best episodes uh, the show has to offer, where it just spins out of control. There just keeps being more and more Cosby's. And Dan Harmon like loves this work that coming out of Royland, and and they start collaborating on some stuff for Channel One Hundred One. Royland also huge fan of the show Farscape. Growing up, this is an Australian American sci fi show ran back in nineteen ninety nine, and um, it, it's in fact a bed's love of the show on the show Community is a nod to Royland trying to get everybody around him to watch it. So it even made it onto. <laughs> A TV show, his love of that show. Uh, Another childhood love of uh, Justin Roiland was Ren and Stimpy. Mainly because it, quote, came out when I was 12, and I remember it changing my whole perspective on what could be done in the current era of animation. And just the idea of creator-driven content and not the cookie-cutter animation machine like that what Filmation was doing at the time. Ren and Stimpy was clearly something coming from one person's vision and voice. To either push it further several years later, Mike, uh, to even push it further several years later, Mike Judge and Beavis and Butthead, to see him back then, knowing he was animating, writing, and talking to himself, it it is very surreal to find myself in a similar situation on this show. If I could have gone back in time to, and see that I would end up doing what Mike Judge was doing, I would have never believed it. I used to walk around doing Beavis and Butthead impressions with my friends. It blows my mind that there could potentially be kids walking around doing that with my characters at some point down the road. But yes, Beavis and Butthead and Ren and Stimpy were the flagship inspirations when it comes to animation for me. Makes a lot of sense. So, uh, Justin Roiland with... Uh what he kind of brought to the channel 101 scene is that he collaborated with uh, his friends, Sivan Najarian and uh, Abed Gaith, who is in fact the same Abed who influenced the character Abed on community nice. and was a mutual friend of Dan Harmon's. Um, they created a kind of mini production studio called comic sacrifice uh, based on Justin Roiland's black and white kind of scribbled high school comics where he would create a character and kill them within the same comic. Thus, Comic Sacrifice. I remember watching these because another thing that Channel 101 did that was super revolutionary is 
all of the shows that made it to that month's show were released as like grainy .mov files on the festival's website. Not a festival. I don't know. Happening event. <laughs> I can't. It's a happening, man. And the shows would be uh, things like It's Twistleton, which was this crude kind of like uh, gross uh, kind of take on like I, it was basically the Chronicles of Narnia with like precocious British children, but there was like a darkness to it. Like the sister clearly had a developmental disorder. The naiads that came from the walls were like these gross testicles that talked about poo-pooing and pee-peeing everywhere. <laughs> um, Justin Roiland's like art style with the scribbles and the eyes uh-huh. pupils and like this malformed ugliness. There was a harshness to everything that they created. And... um That level of fidelity, though, the fact that they went ahead and animated when a lot of people were just filming like weird kind of dirty sitcoms in their friends' apartments really had them like stand out and uh, got him a lot of attention. Uh, Harmon would definitely call on him. He was like helping contribute to other people's works. But it was House of Cosby's that really kind of made it a viral sensation. House of Cosby's kind of broke out from the existing comedy nerd fandom that were already just watching Channel One shows. And if famously, uh, House of Cosby's got a takedown notice yes. from the estate, the uh, House of Cosby, I guess. Yes. For defamation because he was using his image, uh, several versions of his image in various uh, blasphemous, libelous ways. So then he decides to make a protest short that he calls The Real Animated Adventures of Doc and Marty. Marty spelled M-H-A-R-T-I in order to avoid any copyright issues. And uh, he starts playing with these two characters. This is 2006, Yes, by the yes. Way. And he's playing with these two characters, and he's having a lot of fun with them. And then after a while, and if you go back and watch the original Doc and Marty shorts, you'll be like, what about this as a protest on cease and desist uh, stuff? He ends up removing the cease and desist element out of it. He's just having fun with these characters now. Well, it's the, I mean, the initial sketch is a five minute animation, also in that same crude comic sacrifice uh, way where uh, it's, they're using music from the actual movies. And the joke is, is that Justin Roiland in a very gruff version of, uh, of Christopher Lloyd's, Doc Brown voice is just going like, you got to lick my balls, Marty, Marty, you got to, it's the only way we got to, we got to go back in time and fix it. But first you got to lick my balls. And it's like very, in its very crude way, still very graphically animated. Cause the joke is, is like, literally you can go this far. You can go (laughs) this fucking far. And the worst that'll happen is you'll get a letter saying, Hey, cut that out. Right. Right. But it should be noted that it is like kind of the first time that this gruff older guy and ah oh, geez voice yeah. kind of shows up. Both and, done by Justin Roiland, by the way. And that dynamic comes up in a lot of his later uh, in the intervening years and in other sketches that he's producing for Channel 101 in pilots that he puts together for some reason that like dynamic just sticks with him and he keeps reintroducing it and reusing it. and the audience loves this Doc and Marty stuff yeah. and it votes it back into the show so definitely it's it's uh, doing quite well there's a lot of like limbo time here before the show really actually starts before Adult Swim gets 
gets involved before Harmon decides to pick this thing up with uh, Roiland. I want to give a special shout out to Acceptable TV, which is Channel 101's television show that they got. Uh, I believe did it run on MTV, but I just either way, VH1, VH1, VH1 and, I remember at the time. And uh, yeah, it was uh, acceptable TV, but it was really just Channel 101 in TV form. The show featured several mini episodes that the staff would pu- would put up, as well as one viewer submitted pilot. And then um, they would vote, just like in the live show, for certain shows to continue on to the next episode. It only ran for eight episodes, but had kept the creative juices turning between all these parties involved. And uh, so during this time, you've got Royland working in voice acting for animation stuff. He's doing Disney's Fish Hooks and uh, Cartoon Network's Adventure Time. Oh, you mean as the voice of Lemon Grab? Yes. Because at this point, his animations have reached like several people and in its crudity and in its like kind of blasphemousness, the people that care the most about animation actually kind of respect it and love that yes. he's like going that balls to the wall. Totally. It should be said on uh, acceptable.tv, the longest running show was a Royland uh, based venture called Mr. Sprinkles, mm-hmm. which you can find on uh, Justin Rowland's old website, RoylandTV.com. And it is, uh, he it's basically this pastiche of the cat in the hat. And uh, Mr. Sprinkles is, uh, he comes into children's homes on rainy days to help them stay entertained, even though they have to stay inside. Unfortunately, it's the 2000s, so all the kids are like, what the fuck are you doing in my house? Get out of here. I was playing a video game. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so Dan Harmon working on Community during this time. uh, But in 2011, he starts this podcast at Meltdown Comics in Hollywood called Harmontown. It becomes weekly in 2012 after he is fired from his own show, which makes Harmontown this interesting cultural touchstone. To be fair, what he did was he played, uh, he at a rap party, I believe, he had the crew openly mock Chevy Chase, who then complained to the network heads, <laughs> who are all old style TV network executives who were like, oh, I'm, I'm not like, I'm not hip with the kids, but you don't make our marquee movie star actor. You can't deface the chase. Yeah, exactly. He's our man. He's chase dog. And while all this is happening, he has this podcast based out of uh, Meltdown, uh, the Melt, you know, Meltdown Comics, which was another LA alt comedy mecca kind of focal point. And so in real time, he is sharing uh, his self-doubts, uh, you're hearing him rediscover his love of uh, D&D by bringing on ran- a random audience member one time who then becomes who's Spencer Crittenden, who then becomes a longtime collaborator with him. Uh, the ups and lows of his marriages, the ups and lows of his alcoholism, like he is leaving it all in the audio. Like he gets, you know, a new episode will come out and there are consequences because he let loose some truth. Uh, he said either he said something shitty and has to apologize or he said something profound and got more followers who demand his return on community for people who think that like success is this weird mystery box that you don't get access to like the world of um, the successful, the talented, the people whose lives you want to live. This 2000s comedy podcast boom was like a very interesting time to get a lot of behind the scenes looks and a lot of industry talk. Cause especially because the rules aren't set. I mean, there's still a lot of wild West going on when it comes to podcasts Mm. of, Hey, I've learned my lessons of running my mouth and have suffering the consequences from it way back in the day. Right. But still, I think there's a little bit more law and order than there used to be. Even when it comes to what people would just shout into a microphone 
at no consequence or at definite consequence. But there's a hot window where Dan Harmon is a free agent yes. because he's off of Community. And Community, probably worth its own episode. Sure. Beloved show. Yeah. Same kind of like mixture of irreverence and heart and uh, meta-aware structure and commenting on tropes and then elevating tropes in the same thing. Lots to love. Totally. But Adult Swim is like, hey, Dan Harmon, you really appeal to our exact demographic. Yeah. How about you come in for a pitch meeting and maybe we can work together? And Dan Harmon's like, I don't make cartoons, so that's going to be weird. Who do I know who makes cartoons? Oh, yes, my good friend Justin. Yeah, so he hits up Royland. Royland just immediately pitches the Doc and Marty characters, uh, renames them, of course, Rick and Morty. Uh, and it is uh, pitched as an 11-minute show, and Adult Swim says, no, nah, no, nah, we actually we want a half-hour uh, episode format. And so with that inflation of episode time comes the suggestion from Harmon, well, then why don't we build this thing out, make it more than just about these two characters? Let's put them in a family. Let's make Rick the grandfather, Morty the grandson, and, and have this whole you know nuclear family surrounding them. Royland and Harmon then bang out a draft of the pilot in six hours. What's great is they do it in Harmon's unfurnished community office uh, since he'd been fired. <laughs> so it's there's no, no furniture in the office. They're sitting on the floor with laptops. Harmon said, we were sitting on the floor cross-legged with laptops and I was about to get up and go home. And he said, wait, if you go home, it might take us three months to write this thing. Stay here right now and we can write it in six hours. He just had a premonition about that. And so they did. And they get the show picked up and they get to create this pilot and uh, take it from there. One of my favorite moments is from that pilot. It's the one with the uh, mega seeds. It's the first episode that aired. And uh, I'm going to butcher the joke, but it's just uh, they're uh, fighting with the Grimoff, the you know, the bug people. And uh, Morty has a gun and Rick's like, don't worry, they're not people or something like you can you can shoot them. And Morty shoots one and they immediately start bleeding out. And another one's like, oh, my God, he's like, please tell my family and all this stuff. And Morty's like, I thought you said they weren't real. And Rick's just like, I meant they're I meant that they're bureaucrats and I don't respect them. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, fantastic. Absolutely. It's just right out of the gate. A lot of that is is Dan supporting Justin is what it seems like. Justin Roiland said he is so cool and supportive, but he has said it to me so many times. This is your show. I'm here to help you make it good. He has basically opened up his tool chest of extraordinary writing talent to me and to the show, and as a result, has elevated it. I also get a ton of freedom to change dialogue between Rick and Morty to make sure it's more natural sometimes than what's scripted. But we play perfectly off of each other's strengths, Dan and I. Yeah, there's a lot of improv on Justin's part in the booth, because he just wants that, and you feel that, too. I mean, if you've watched the show, you get that. There's just, especially with the character of Rick uh, and and Morty as well, there's just this very natural free-flying, kind of on purpose trying to make you feel like these people are really in a space just talking to each other. They're not pre-written characters. And it it, it shines through. It, makes, it gives it a unique feel that other shows don't have quite as much. Sometimes it gives it like a sloppy feel, but it's... It, that like usually helps the comedy it, when it when it's like more unhinged and sloppy, especially because it's a lot of dualities. You have this very sloppy feeling dialogue, and then these very like tightly knit, well thought out <laughs> like applications of of science, scientific properties, and sci fi history 
and all that and tropes and things. So yeah, it just kind of makes it, I think it kind of props it up actually. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. There's uh, a weird side thing where Roiland did have previous attempts at pilots. Uh, he made two for Fox, I believe. And the theme song for Rick and Morty is actually one that was produced for a failed pilot that he made. You can find the full animatic online uh, called Dog Planet, which, uh, ironically enough, was made to sound like a perfect fusion of the Doctor Who theme and the Farscape theme. And if you listen to both, you can be like, oh, yeah, that's just the Rick and Morty theme. (laughs) The uh, premise of Dog Planet was a weird mix of the original. It's Twistleton short with uh, a lot of like the kind of bizarre alien kind of humor that ended up happening in interdimensional cable and in Royland's other show, Solar Opposites. And did you mention uh, it was done by Ryan Elder? No, I did not. Because I forgot his name. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Elder did the theme song. Justin Roiland said the theme song is written by the guy who wrote the Wizards of Waverly Place theme song. That's Ryan Elder, who is a very good friend of mine. I told him I was a big fan of Farscape, and then I wanted to combine Farscape's theme, Doctor Who's theme, uh, basically what our theme song is. It was an amazing original piece that takes the best aspects of those two themes and mashes them together. Super sci-fi. And Justin's about Ryan Elder said he's kind of autonomous. He's a fucking badass. He'll get a cut or an animatic because he scores the whole show, and he'll score it, and he'll send us a video with the score cut in. If anything, I'll just take cues out. I'll be like, ah, we don't need any music here. This is uh, hurting a joke here. Harmon has those kinds of notes too. More than anything, we just kind of remove a few cues and then a couple times we'll have general notes like, hey, this isn't working. Try a different approach. But that's about as far as it goes in terms of managing him. He's pretty self-sufficient in regards to the music on the show. Uh, There's also a lot of bands featured in the show Blonde Redhead for example Mazzy Star Indie Axe uh, other known more known songs uh, and ju- that's all usually coming out of Justin Roiland's uh, music collection a lot of ways in fact he talks about how anxious he gets about his music selection because he's so worried that like people will judge him for his personal tastes because a lot of that music you're hearing on the show is actually Justin Roiland's just personal musical loves mm-hmm. uh, all throughout so I thought that was cool um, yeah, so I want to talk. I love always talking about the writing process and how people do it. It seems like Justin Roiland took a lot from just based on our episode on Adventure Time, took a lot from Adventure Time's pr- approach, which makes sense because he worked on the show a little bit and could kind of get a little glance in on that. They'll meet, they'll talk through ideas for stories uh, and meld moments from their personal lives that give a lot of anecdotes and try to make to give it that human feel while they're also mixing into the batch a bunch of different sci-fi tropes and 
things like that. And then once they get that sweet spot, once they, quote, break the story, uh, or rather develop its beginning, middle, and ending, a writer is assigned to create an outline. And then Harmon and Royland, they review the outline, they give notes, then the writer does several drafts. Uh, apparently, and by the way, Dan Harmon, apparently big, big old perfectionist. And he actually is apparently why season three has less episodes, because he was just so anal about everything, and being absolutely exactly perfect for him, in his opinion, that uh, it, it actually stops up the process a little bit um, from what I've gleaned from reading about this. So there is so one of the things that uh, makes Dan Harmon uh, kind of a, a, a hotbed of uh, controversy is that he definitely plays up this like troubled genius kind of attitude and he has the freedom to kind of be, he de- you know, once you're a named writer, you get to have a little bit more. Uh, you can actually say, like, no, this isn't good enough yet. But uh, he talks about, like, yeah, perfectionism, being a self-hating, being a tough critic, but also loving the attention that, like, going on tour, getting stopped by fans. Uh, like, uh, you know, he had a ins- he's the perfect kind of guy that keeps fucking up then has a big show of how he fucked up and how it's like, ah, oh, he's, he's a piece of shit, man. Ah, oh, it sucks. I suck. And then going back to like, my work. Yeah, like yeah. it's such a, either you are 14 years old and you're like, fuck yeah, that's so cool. Or you're a grown up or a 12 year old girl and you're like, I'm so sick of this shit. Already. <laughs> like it's such a, it's a very controversial guy to be. Like, uh, you know, he famously uh, had an issue with one of the writers on Community and like, Base has what people call the perfect apology for it because he just basically said, like, I was a selfish idiot who did not respect women enough. I suck. I suck. I suck. Yeah. It's like it's 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 fast. And like Rick himself uh, obviously gets all this, you know, because like if you think he's cool, you're missing the point of the show. Mm-hmm. Cuz at the same time that he makes sad faces because his family's alienated from him, he also like gets to like have sex with entire planets and blow up like cool spaceships and just goes like, "I fucking love weed" or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Space weed. Like it's and th- whether it's the Joker or Deadpool right. or, you know, it is either uh, fun and refreshing that you can see a main character on TV also act in selfish ways that you find familiar and without shame because that is liberating. Or it's annoying because you go to TV to like watch people actually face consequences and be nice to each other. <laughs> like it depends on what you want. Yeah, it's funny. I think you just pinpointed maybe another reason why, uh, again, people look towards the fandom as like eye rolly because it has that Deadpool effect. For sure, with Rick Sanchez, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I totally get that. Uh, either way, going back to the writing, just wanted to say that they definitely uh, don't write it episodically. They never try to. They don't want to tie themselves down with uh, too much of a vision for the entire arc of the season. Like every episode is kind of what they call like a bottle episode in a lot of ways because they want to be able to do shit without any consequence. Right. They want to just go as far as they can. I mean, that makes sense. Be like. 
Futurama is kind of similar in that sense. Like you just want to be able to like push the sci-fi as far as possible. In order to do that, you kind of can't have like the concept of like, this is what happens in episode two, which leads to what happens in episode three. There's so many callbacks and things like that as well. Like, um, throughout, like we talked about the character of Mr. Poopy butthole in, uh, from season, I believe that season two, a total recall, and that character was just such an important piece of that. And I don't want to give ruin it if you've never seen it. Just de- definitely watch Total Recall if you're looking for a place to start. I would go with Mr. Meeseeks uh, or Meeseeks and Destroy, I guess is what it's called uh, in season one. Personally, is like my favorite from season one. Uh, and uh, yeah, Total Recall is one of the greats from season two. But uh, yeah, yeah. They they will definitely nod to a lot of things they've done, you know, previous for sure. To sing the show's praises, one of my favorite things is uh, the arc of Evil Morty, mm-hmm. which uh, kind of shows up as like a fun twist with that, like, ah, ah, <laughs> ah, like theme going on at I, what what season was that? I think it was the end of season one where uh, the uh, close recounters of the Rick kind. And then throughout season two, he does not come back, even though he's like, you know, they make all this big spooky thing like, oh, there's an evil Morty out there and he's clever. And you don't really know what's going on until season three's the Rick Lantis mix up, which is an insanely meta episode yeah, where they deal with like racial justice and social engineering and politics and all this stuff. Yes. Within the very dumb analogy of a... Uh, planet or a citadel, whatever, full of Ricks and Mortys together. And then it comes back strong out of nowhere. And then it like, in the episode, Never Ricking Morty, which is one of the most insanely meta things I'd ever seen from season four, uh, Rick and Morty are like being robbed of their future story potential within a meta story, within a meta story, within a meta story, within a meta story, to the point where they're like, Doing things with like it for someone that has trolled through TV tropes for as many hours as I had, it was pure uncut heroin. I loved it. I'm sure there's other people watching it, like doing the jerk off motion the entire time. (laughs) Whatever. I loved it. Where they bring back like in a flash, like evil Morty doing a big evil, like final confrontation war. And Rick is like, no, you can't like we didn't build to that. That's not earned. (laughs) Like it's insane. Uh, how they're willing to just like take all these loose themes and like pull the string when they want to and let it fall when they want to. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun to the point where like, if you're trying to build a unified lore. Okay. So this is another thing that the, uh, that the fans I noticed while going through like the YouTube essays is like, you know, this is clearly not Jerry's arc or like Rick wouldn't act like this when like, it's a comedy show first and foremost. Like yeah. the Simpsons don't always act like the Simpsons. Peter Griffin doesn't always act like Peter Griffin. Like you should not be looking at this like it was a novel or a Game of Thrones book. Like you're not this is not the great story of our age. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. Um yeah. All right, little look into animation. 
Roiland's style for the look of the characters comes from a little bit from the regular show, a little bit from Pendleton Ward's Adventure Time, of course, already mentioned before, but most especially The Simpsons. Roiland said, all of us are kind of the same age and we're all inspired by The Simpsons and all these other shows we're kind of subconsciously tapping into. They also noted noted how after the fact they realized that this was actually a marriage between The Simpsons and Futurama, just taking that crazy sci-fi adventure aspect and putting it into a family home. Uh, there's also definitely a, uh, an intentional nod to Ren and Stimpy uh, when it comes to the little W-shaped mouths that you see from time to time on characters, which is uh, mimicking uh, Ren's facial expressions from the show. Uh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, they, uh, they use a software from Toon Boom Animation Inc., and technical director David Marshall describes it as, quote, vector-based puppet show, uh, with each character being, quote, broken up into a million little pieces that they can manipulate in the software in order to animate. I watched a uh, featurette uh, showing off this. That, so it's I think it's largely done in-house. They just have this software, and they just... They insert these characters into the scene, and then they can just completely manipulate any little aspect of them uh, using this Toon Boom uh, software. It's kind of a we, uh, you know, during the Sunday study session, go to patreon.com forward slash whisperer, figure out how you want to join that. Um, we were like, oh, do they outsource this to Korea? Because a lot of, especially in the newer episodes, the animation is super smooth. A lot of great keyframes, a lot of like great model consistency. Like, it does not feel like that kind of flash animation puppet style a lot of the time, which is kind of incredible. Uh, You can find every episode has pages and pages and pages of reference sheets to make sure that everything works. Even, like, background monsters are rendered in impeccable detail with multiple angles for the animators to work with. Um, It kind of really blurs that... uh, blurs the line between cell-by-cell animation and digital puppetry kind of tween animation. It's genuinely an achievement. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, All right, and then the voice cast. We'll just say, Jess Royland does the voices for Rick, Morty, Mr. Meeseeks, and Mr. Poopy Butthole. Chris Parnell voices Jerry Smith. He is an SNL alumni. He's also uh, appeared as Dr. Leo Spichiman in 30 Rock and Mini VO uh, bits as well for shows like Archer, Gravity Falls, you know the guy. Spencer Grammer voices Summer Smith. She is the daughter of Kelsey Grammer. Mainly just did shows like CSI and shit like that before uh, doing this one. Sarah Chalk voices Beth Smith. She's actually known as Other Becky from the sitcom <laughs> Roseanne, which I didn't realize she was uh, that voice. That's awesome. Uh, she also played Dr. Elliot Reed on Scrubs for all the scrub scrubbies out there, all you scrub fans. There are just way too many more people to name, and there are so many cameos. Dana Carvey, John Oliver, David Cross, Dan Harmon, of course, as Kevin, Mr. Mark Lovitz, uh, Davin, Bird Person, Icy, and Dr. Glipglop. Uh, you've got Tom Kenny, uh, SpongeBob SquarePants himself as King Jellybean, uh, Squanchy, Conroy, and uh, Million Ants, um, Alfred Molina, Nolan North, um, Keegan Michael Key, and Jordan Peele, Jermaine Clement. Um, Christina Hendricks, Patton Oswald. I mean, the list just goes on and on. Stephen Colbert, Taika Waititi, fucking Werner Herzog. I just uh, watched Werner Herzog's fucking uh, cameo as he just shows up and it's like, they they take a, pe- a pencil and hold it up against their dicks and say, look at me, I'm Mr. Pencil Dick. And they all laugh all the time. <laughs> it's, it's 
insane. Fucking Elon Musk is on the fucking show. Oh, as Elon <laughs> Tusks. Yes. Honest to God, like people, I saw so many people talking about how, when Rick and Morty jumped the shark, when the show got bad. I love all of it. I'm I'm real. Even the episode, even that dragon episode that people don't like. I think season four is. I think season four is great. It's it's so good. Yeah. I'm super jazzed for season five. I don't care about the sauce man. I don't care. I do wonder there. I do see them potentially running out of steam, especially when it comes to the sci-fi concepts. Like just how many more of those can you inject into, into a show like this? Because they go so hard in the paint on that stuff. So, I mean, it just kind of is mind blowing to, to think that they have another like several seasons under their under their belts. One of the things I love about it, they'll take a sci-fi concept and like run it as hard, like to the height of their intelligence of how far it'd go to the point where, usually to the point where it breaks. There's a uh, season four episode where uh, it deals with a planet full of snakes and they introduce snake time travel (laughs) and immediately within the second that it's introduced, there's like Terminators fighting Terminators fighting Terminators. Like, because once time travel has existed and you can fight battles throughout time, there, it's just a matter of everyone competing to get one step ahead of the other across all possible. Yeah, it just breaks immediately as soon as time travel is introduced. And they don't like, they don't ramp it up. It's just like, oh, they've introduced time travel. Everything's broken. Yeah. And, that, you know, that's Harmon making fun of like Avengers Endgame yeah. and making fun of how. Time travel is kind of the last bastion of any franchise because once you do that, there's like, well, what issue, what problems will you ever have to solve if you have a time machine? And the episode I was just watching, I think it was, you mentioned the save remote, but I think it is that vat of acid episode. Uh, Yeah, he even mentions how like he thinks it's like lame. He's like, if Ant-Man and the Wasp do it, then I don't have a (laughs) part of it referencing the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is so funny. Like him shitting, just bashing it. I mean, they did a whole episode shitting on the Marvel Universe, the Vindicators episode that uh, a lot of people love. I was going to mention the Vindicators episode just because there is a spinoff centered around the Vindicators. I think it's just called the Vindicators that's supposed to be coming out uh, at some point. I was about to talk about some of the uh, external kind of around the sides things that uh, have been coming out. You've got a couple of short films uh, that debuted on uh, Adult Swim's Toonami programming block. There's uh, Samurai and Shogun, which is a uh, anime short parody of Lone Wolf and Cub featuring um, Rick and Morty. Also, Rick and Morty versus Genocider, which both of those came out in 2020 and are both like anime Rick and Morty shorts. Uh, then there's a claymation series of short films done by Lee Hardcastle called Rick and Morty, The Non-Canonical Adventures on YouTube. If you want to check that out. There's a comic book as well, an adaptation starting back in 2015. Uh, what's fun with this show is they can just do this. They just made it an alternate timeline, mm-hmm. Rick and Morty, so they don't have to step on anything in the actual show. Eventually, they started creating some stories centered around the actual Rick and Morty on the show. Uh, started putting those in. And there's also a crossover series called Rick and Morty versus Dungeons and Dragons that had them adventuring in a D&D world. And they even got a uh, module. Yeah, they got a fifth edition D&D uh, starter box uh, called Anatomy Park. I mean, not a, not a, a few days before we recorded, uh, new Fortnite season dropped. And what was the premiere uh, guest star? 
a fucking a Rick skin. Yes. You get to play Fortnite as Rick. It's Fortnite Rick. You got yeah, we made it to Fortnite, Rick and Morty. Also, I should correct this. Uh the Anatomy Park is a co-op tile placing strategy game based on the season one pilot. There is also separately a Rick and Morty starter box for fifth edition DD. Yes, Rick got added to Fortnite. And of course, there have been Rick and Morty video games. I mean, obviously, when you were dealing with subject matter like this, but not actually, I was surprised. Not as many as I thought. I thought for for some reason there were like a million cheap bullshitty uh rick and morty games but n- not exactly they have a flash point and click adventure that was the first one it was put out on the adult swim website called rick and morty's uh, rushed license adventure they got an announcer pack on dota 2 so you know the, the you know the voice by justin Roiland, so you know they know what they're doing mm-hmm. like in the video game space if they're doing shit like that uh there's a pokemon parody called pocket morty's this was released on phones a weirdly well done pokemon parody is it cool <laughs> yeah it's yeah did like, you fuck with it a little it's, bit yeah i, I Everybody fucked with it a little bit when it first came out, and they kept updating it. It's like th- its own experience at this point. Also, Rick and Morty Virtual Rickality came out for virtual reality. There's a lot of fun VR stuff when it comes from when it comes to Justin Roiland uh, and Dan Harmon as well. Accounting was actually the first VR thing I did, and it was at uh, the Dorkley offices on a weekend when you had me, uh, you let me rather come out and try VR for the first time, real VR for the first time ever. It was like amazing. I've actually more recently on the Quest 2 been playing uh, Trover versus the Universe. Very fun. If you want like an interactive VR experience that feels very in the lane of Rick and Morty, same kind of dark, irreverent, crazy, dirty humor, the same kind of voice acting that you get from Rick and Morty episodes. Uh, that thing is really, really cool, and I've uh, gotten quite a kick out of it. There is, yeah, that's the other thing uh, as part of the pushback to Rick and Morty is that Justin Roiland kind of like wit- does hang out with Elon Musk and has him on the show, and like him and Dan Harmon are super into Minecraft and VR. Are you saying Justin Roiland's the uh, Joe Rogan of animators? He's he's occupying a very <laughs> weird gray zone for and for people whose identity is like. Oh, my personality, it's the opposite of whatever Joe Rogan fans are. <laughs> like that's like they are kind of touchy on Rick and Morty stuff. I am willing to live in the gray zone. Uh, <laughs> God damn. The what was I I was going to just say Oh, the caffeine ran out. My brain stopped working. <laughs> uh, the, the only other little touchstone I wanted to hit before we just give our gush at the end of the episode, because that's how we do it in this one. We go we go backwards. We start with why people hate the fandom. We end with the gush. Uh, uh, just the Rickmobile, it should be mentioned back in 2017. A, just Google image search this if you aren't aware of what this is, because it is kind of amazing. Uh, this this like traveling shop that sells Rick and Morty merch uh, just went on this 42 city uh, tour to promote season three. I wonder if that was a nod to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, by the way, that it was specifically a 42 city tour. But either way, look up the Rickmobile because it's fucking ridiculous. It's this like car with just a giant like drooling Rick Sanchez on top of it looking insane. It's the wiener mobile, but instead of the shape of a wiener, they've kind of crafted a fiberglass Rick kind of kneeling on all fours. It's like a grotesque, like Tim Burton set piece. You know what I mean? It just is so insane looking and over the top and a lot of fun. But yeah, I mean, so yeah, there's a lot of, you know, extra media. The show has blown up so big, but now it's almost, it got so big that even I feel like with season four, it didn't have the same kind of 
it was just insane when season three dropped. <laughs> like, it was just like, what has this become at this point? Season two ended on a cliffhanger. Uh, season three took two years and they kind of dropped the uh, season premiere on April Fool's Day. Uh-huh. Like, there was a lot of uh, just... There was a lot going on. There was a lot going on. Um, and uh, then by season four, the all the things that we talked about kind of um, happened. And the Rick and Morty merchandise train kind of got, you know, we reached uh, Hot Topic t-shirt Rick and Morty <laughs> to the point where the most recent meme about Rick and Morty that I see all the time is like taking serious characters from games and movies and having them like just say, repeat the line like, I swear to God, he turns himself into a pickle. Funniest shit I've ever seen. Like what started as this kind of like uh, revolutionary alternative uh edgy show is now kind of a touchstone of like normie humor that it's you're not you know you're not special for enjoying the multi-million dollar produced professional television show yeah it's interesting it is interesting interesting things to talk about. but i will say i love it and i've loved it since it's really come out and i'm glad it's okay to watch it and enjoy it again and i'm gonna continue to do so um pickle rick uh (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm Gen X adjacent. I am. I literally all the same references, all the same uh, cultural touchstones, all the same weird issues with aging. And like Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland are in my brain space. I live in their brain space and the show they make resonates with me. And it's funny. I get it. I get it on a much deeper level than most people because I'm very smart. <laughs> it's I'm going to keep watching it short of. Some kind of, unless it becomes a Simpsons thing where it's been on the air for 20 years and then the thing I love, I no longer even engage with at all. Who knows? Who knows? But either way, I think that's it. That's our episode on Rick and Morty. Well, beloved, up dub, right, guys? Or do you not get it because your IQ is kind of low? No, because you see in one scene, <laughs> uh, they say that it actually means I am in great pain and therefore the character is super deep and the show has a lot to offer. <laughs> Why are we? I feel it's, like we're ending on a sour note. I love this show. I love this. I know. I love it. I hate it. It's I a way love to, it. We, yeah, exactly. It. Your sister, your brother, your sister. Yeah, we just Chinatown this fucking thing. I'll take it. Whatever. I, I'm going to keep watching it. It's the best. Thank you so much for joining us. Don't come after us. Don't be mean to me this week about it. And <laughs> I'm afraid of all of you. The world's 14-year-old boys are going to come at me for that rant yeah. at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> the, the ones that are like frozen in time from 2017, <laughs> somehow they're still t- t- 14-year-old boys uh, four years later, somehow five years later. Any whoosies, thank you again, everybody, for joining us. Uh, you can check us out, uh, support us further on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash whizbrew every week, $5 a month. You get bonus content. $15 a month, you get the Sunday study session. Last week, we all, I'm not, I'm not going to lie, we all got, most of us got high, <laughs> and we watched Rick and Morty for about an hour and a half, and it was fucking rad. So that's the kind of thing you can expect from a Sunday study session. It was so funny how liberally everybody was just like, so we're all just going to use our paraphernalia on camera, right, guys, in this Discord? Anyways. Um, well, uh, Officer Joe, the policeman that is on stream with us every time, <laughs> made sure that everybody lived in a state where marijuana was recreationally legal, and then we allowed it. And not a cop. Richard <laughs> definitely uh, definitely started interrogating people to try to trick them. Uh, he's definitely a cop. 
<laughs> All right. Uh, Twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. Check it out, guys. Monday, Tuesday, Friday streams. Hope you join us for it. Jake? All you got to do is follow me on Twitter at Best Jake Young and read all my thoughts and plops and get some uh, tasty nuggets from the upcoming week's research and you'll have a fun time. And of course, patreon.com forward slash whizbrew, the place where you get bonus episodes and extra streams and you help us live. All right. Thanks again, everybody, for joining us. And always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.